What's up, Coastal? So good to be with you guys this afternoon. What's up, everybody? Y'all look good. Now, listen, this, is, this should be like the turn up service. I mean, y'all slept in late, you know. This is like the 1130 service. Y'all had a good nap this morning. Got you a cup of joe. Y'all ready to go? All right. Now, listen, I don't know. Uh, how many of you all were here last time I was here? All right. How many of you all, this is your first time seeing me before? Okay, well, see what happens is that your church is just so awesome that you've like doubled in size in like six months or something crazy. Don't take that for granted. You're in the middle of a revival. And man, celebrate that. Bring people to church with you. Let's see what God's going to do, all right? But anyway, I was with you uh, a, um, a few months ago, and I pastor a church called Alive Church. So I love Alive environments okay that means that whatever i'm preaching you got to act like you like it because if you do that then i preach better okay so i like a lot of engagement somebody say amen. amen come on somebody clap right there clap right there act like you just your favorite team just scored a touchdown all right the worst thing you can do when you got, you know, a certain kind of preacher is sit there and just kind of look at him because I'm just going to look back at you and we're just going to have a boring time together. But if you get excited, I'm going to get excited. And so uh, God's going to bless it. Amen. Anyway, my name is Pastor Ken. I pastor a live church, um, Orlando. Can you hand me a piece of tissue, please? Would you give it up for Gabe? He's my creative director and Pastor Scott. Excuse me, I know that was so inappropriate. I forgot, I was chewing gum, and that's just, I'm like a big kid. I'm so sorry. But anyway, um, so uh, what was I saying? And I got Scott, too. Scott, he's my executive pastor, and he's just like the man. They clapped a little bit for you. I don't know why. Come on, clap like you clap for Gabe, for Scott. Scott's the man. He's actually, <laughs> he's the one who tells me everything to do anyway. But anyway, so anyway, I pastor a church in a live church in Orlando. So how many of you all know people that live in Orlando? Let me see by show of hands, all right? And so if you want to do them a great favor, text them tonight or call them and let them know that there is a life-giving church that is launching in Orlando. Our main campus is in Gainesville, and so now we have Gainesville, and we also have Orlando. It is launching on September the 22nd. And so right now, over the next three months, we're just putting together what I consider to be the best launch team ever, all right? And so if you have someone that you know of in Orlando that you think could be blessed by being a part, please let them know because we're getting ready for what God's going to do. Amen? All right. Hey, guys. I'm a family man. I want to show you a picture of my family. Everybody say, ooh, ah, oh, cool. That's my wife. We've been married. It'll be 20 years in a couple weeks, July 3rd, 20 years. Come on, clap for me. I made it this far by faith. Come on, somebody. All right. And so from our marriage, we have these three beautiful kids. My oldest, her name is Hannah. She's 14 years old. She's going to the ninth grade. So I have a high schooler. So I need special prayers. And then Charity, she's nine years old. And Kenny, he's a chip off the old block. He actually looks a lot like me, everybody says. And uh, he just got saved a couple of months ago. We're excited about that. He needed to get saved because he was terrorizing his sisters. Now we just need, we need him to, to walk out his salvation. But anyway, that's the Clater family. And we're happy to be able to serve you guys today. Anybody ready for the word of God? Are you ready? Are you ready? Come on, I can't hear you. Are you ready? Come on, everybody smile like I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Let's go. I believe we've saved the best for last. I believe that with all my heart. So let us pray. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing in our hearts and in our minds today. We declare that our lives will never be the same again after not just hearing, but doing the word of God. Because you said it's the doers that shall be blessed. 
I pray for those who are here today. Maybe they've never been to church before or they've been away for a while. Those who are struggling with what they believe or struggling in their identity or struggling with an addiction. I pray that healing flows in this house today, that healing flows in this house today, that today is a day where depression can be turned into joy. Addictions can be replaced with freedom and uh, salvation is available for anybody who wants it. So, God, I ask for you to have your way in me, through me. Use what I've studied, my experiences, to cause this message to be practical and powerful. And our lives will never be the same again. In Jesus' wonderful name. Somebody say amen. amen. Well, if you have a Bible, go with me over to Haggai chapter number one. If not, they'll put it on the board behind me. And I want to start off with a story about how my wife almost got us arrested one day. Can I, can I tell you a story? All right. So it goes down like this. So we've been married um, for 20 years in July, starting off the first year, year and a half of our marriage was absolutely horrible. I mean, I was mean and selfish and ambitious and prideful, and she wasn't much better herself. Um, she actually struggled with depression for the first uh, 12, uh, for about 12 years of her life. Um, she found Jesus, got filled with the Holy Spirit. She's been depression-free for 18 years now. No, no medication, no therapy. Come on, somebody give Jesus praise. But when we first got together, our marriage was headed for a divorce. Um, and so when we got hold of God's word, there were some things that I learned. I learned how to submit to her and to serve her and to love my wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And she learned how to do it vice versa. But one of the things that we implemented 18 and a half years ago was Friday night date night. And so every Friday night for 18 years, we've dated each other. I mean, the kids know it. They say, oh, y'all going out tonight? I mean, everybody knows we're going out. We get a babysitter. We've done because, you, you know, we, we got to keep our marriage fresh, you know, and we got to date each other. We, we can't let ourselves get stale. And so one day we were out on our date night. We were in Gainesville. Um, go Gator, shameless plug. Come on, somebody. Gainesville is a smaller town up northern Florida if y'all don't know where in the world that is we was coming down University Avenue and it was a traffic jam 10 p.m. at night in Gainesville there's not traffic jams in Gainesville at 10 p.m. and we looked up ahead after we had sat there for a moment and we noticed there was a lot of police cars and what it was it was a sobriety checkpoint and so we sat there for a moment but we had a newborn that was at home and so I got the bright idea that I was gonna bust a u-turn in the middle of the sobriety checkpoint two yellow lines. I said, I'm not waiting no longer, you know. So I decided to bust a U-turn, and I didn't think anybody saw me, but as soon as I did that, whoop, whoop, you know, blue flashing lights, guy was on the motorcycle, police officer pulled me over on a side street. He comes up, he does his due diligence, he's like, license and registration, please. I begin to roll my window down to give him license and registration, and I notice my wife has an attitude. And my wife is like the sweetest person in the world. She's like the most loving, caring person. She wouldn't hurt a fly. I mean, literally, like if a fly gets in the car, she will roll the window down and try to shoot a fly out the car. She don't want to hurt the fly. When we first got together, I was driving one day, and it was a bunny. The bunny jumped out in the road. She grabbed the steering wheel. No! She was going to kill us both over a bunny. So this is my wife. But I don't know what time of the month it happened to be or what was going on with her attitude that day. But she, all right, I'm, she's sitting in the passenger seat, and I'm in the driver's seat. The police officer's there, and she looks through the window with a scowl on her face, and she says, why did you pull us over? We're just trying to get home to our kids. We didn't do anything wrong. You know me, I'm a great law-abiding citizen. I, I'm attending to, I'm like, yes, sir, what, what do we need to do? So sorry about that, sir. All right, and so he takes my license registration. He goes back. He checks out everything. He comes back. He's like, okay. He said, well, why did you bust a, a U-turn here at this sobriety checkpoint? And I said, well, we got newborns at home, and we just wanted to get home to our children. And he gives me a warning, and he lets me go. No ticket. Come on, somebody clap. Somebody clap. Thank God for great police officers, especially ones that let me go. Amen.
all right? So anyway, we pull off, and I look at my wife. I said, what in the world were you thinking? And she's embarrassed about this story because it was so out of character for her. But this is what I want you to hear today. How many of you are busting a U-turn in your life when the Holy Spirit's trying to check you? See, sobriety checkpoints are for our safety. It's kind of like so there won't be drunk drivers on the road. And what I did is I didn't want to go through the checkpoint, so I wanted to come up with my own thing. And it dawned on me how many of us, instead of going God's way, we come up with our own way when the Holy Spirit's trying to check our attitude or our perspective or our motives. We say, no, God, I don't want to forgive. No, God, I don't want to turn the other cheek. And we bust the U-turn. And and when I was thinking about that, I came up with this message, and the title of today's message is Priority Checks. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, it's time to check your priorities. It's time to check your priorities. Did y'all participate in the back? Go ahead and tell the one you don't know as well, it's time to check your your priorities. Because basically, that's all the book of Haggai is talking about. Quick story, the time is about 585 to 550 B.C., somewhere around there. And uh, God's children is basically, um, they're, they're in Jerusalem. Babylon comes into Jerusalem. They take some people captive, and now God's people is in exile, and they tear down the temple. There's a clarion call that goes out that God wants his children to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Now, the temple is... It's the pinnacle of their faith. It's, it represents the presence of God. And everything that you want to build as a believer, you begin with the presence of God. We need the presence of God in our small groups, the presence of God in our church, the presence of God in our worship, the presence of God at your home. And then you begin to build from that place. And so God was very serious about rebuilding the temple because it was the foundation upon which everything else would be built. So one by one, his children begin to come back in to Jerusalem from exile. And they all came in. And you know what they did? They start playing golf. They start watching NASCAR. They were chilling out on the beach, just hanging out. I don't know what they was doing. But basically, the story is it took, it was 15 years later, and the temple still wasn't rebuilt. Why? Their priorities were out of order. Kind of like some of us today. We have a call of God on our life, but not right now. I want to sow my wild oats right now. I'll do the whole God thing later on. And so what happens is that they wasted years of their life, and God couldn't stand it. He raises up a prophet, and his name is Haggai, okay? And basically, Haggai comes with the word of the Lord, and his full assignment was to help God's people have a priority check, okay? And he starts right here in Haggai, chapter number one, verse one. Let's read it together. Are you there? Say, I'm there. I said, if you're there, say, I'm there. Haggai, chapter one, verse one, it says, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet, hey, God is Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, and the son of Zozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time's not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Y'all know what that is? Procrastination. Everybody say procrastination. That's when you say, well, I'm going to obey God, but not right now. I'm going to forgive them, but not right now. I'm going to join that group, but I'm a little busy. Right? It's just procrastination. You, you put your obedience onto a future date, okay? And so that's what they was doing. Verse 3, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. He says, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? All right. Now, a paneled house was simply a nice house. All right. So if you have a a house in America, I don't know if you know this, but it's a nice house. Okay. And so a paneled house was just symbolic for a nice house. And so basically they had built their homes. They had taken care of their careers and what they wanted. 
but their priorities were out of line. And so in verse 5, he says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, give careful thoughts to your ways. He says, you've planted much, but harvested little. Now, can I give you an answer? For some of you all who've been praying to God, wanting to know why certain things aren't happening in the timing that you want them to happen, maybe it's because you have to check your priorities. And so he says, you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never got your full. You put on clothes, but you're never warm. My God, this is a bad day. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And it, ever been there before? You know, before I was a pastor, I owned a real estate company. We flipped houses. We renovated homes. And I was a broker outside of Washington, D.C. And I remember there was a time where I made so much money, but I had little to show for it. Because it was like I had a bag, but that bag had holes in it. Anybody ever been there before? It's just like, yeah, I'm making money, but where is it going? Maybe it's your priorities. My priorities were out of line. Verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, give careful thoughts to your what? to your ways. Y'all reading along, right? He says, listen, don't just come to church and hear a good sermon, but don't do anything with it. Like for real, check this out for a moment. Like think about this one for a second. Like meditate on this and just consider your ways, your perspectives, your mindsets, your behaviors. Think about your conduct for a moment. And then he gives them an assignment. He says, go up to the mountains, bring down timber and build my house so that I can take pleasure in it and be honored. I love this. Because it lets us know that God is honored when we build his house. See, some of us think, well, it's the pastor, you know, Pastor TJ is going to do it. Shayla's going to build the house or the, the, type, the, the people who work for the church, they're going to build the house of the Lord. No, every born again believer has a responsibility to put our hands to the plow and not look back and build something that's bigger than ourselves. And all of our parts fitly join together to make up the body of Christ. And so we have to be about our father's business. And so verse 9, here it goes again. He says, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. Ever been there before? And what you brought home, I blew it away. And then he gives the answer to why this is happening. He says, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Somebody say busy. Now, I love to preach this because, you know, <laughs> I talk to Christians all, all around, all over the place. And sometimes we make the devil and Satan this big deal. Like the devil is just so busy and he's still in this and he's destroying my marriage. And maybe that's the case in some instances. But the truth is that the devil is defeated and he's supposed to be underneath your feet. Just quit letting your foot up and he won't get out from under it. You hear what I'm saying? But the greatest enemy that we face in our generation is probably not the devil or Satan. It's your busy schedule. And some of us, we're too busy to hear from God. We're too busy to hear the still, small voice of God. We got 100 notifications probably going off right now. Half of us on Twitter right now. We're focused on things that don't have any internal value at all. And God is like, listen, would you check your priorities? We're, we're too, see, there, I wish I had time to preach to you about the power of margin. See, we need margin in our schedule. If you're that person that you always, I just don't have the time. Listen, you're doing too much. You, I wish I had time to preach to you about the power of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not an Old Testament thing. Who cares if it's on a Saturday or Sunday? Take one day out of seventh day. Seven, that's what God did. He, he created the whole earth in six days, and on the seventh, he rested. And some of us, we think we're better than God. And we're burning it from both ends of the candle, and we're going to burn ourselves out. There's just something powerful about sitting around and breathing. Like looking at the sky, like hearing the birds again. I mean, there needs to be a day where we say, this is the Lord's day. 
this is the day. Like uh, probably about five years ago, I had an opportunity to travel to Israel. And I realized that Shabbat to them was a big deal. It was so big that nobody cooked. So they did all of their cooking Thursday and Friday because by Friday sundown, they was going to the Western Wall and beginning the Shabbat. And listen, we had cold boiled eggs because all of the chefs, all of the workers were off. I was like, oh, my God, where can I have some scrambled eggs here? Nobody's working. All right. And, and they wouldn't even let you. The elevator it would stop at every floor because if you push the button, they looked at it as work. Now, I know that's a little legalistic and, you know, and all that. But the principle is that you need to have a day which is God's day. All right. And so sometimes the greatest enemy that we face is not the devil. It's just we're just too busy. I think there's something powerful about slowing down to where we can hear from God again. Would y'all say amen to this? <laughs> so I like to say it like this. When you take care of God's house, he'll take care of yours. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, when you take care of God's house, come on in the back. He'll take care of yours. Go ahead and tell the other one, tell the other one that you don't know as well. Say, when you put God first, he's going to put you first. Do y'all believe that today? I want to talk to you today about misplaced priorities. If you're ready, just shout, I'm ready. What is a misplaced priority? It's on the board. It's when you have less important priorities that get more time and attention than more important priorities. It just means they're misplaced. Something that should be number five on your priority list, you're giving it the lion's share of your time and attention. For example, this is the person that's nice to strangers that they work with all day. I'm talking about you come by your coworker's desk and you give them another pen and you open the door and then you come home and you don't even speak to your family and you're just as mean as a snake. What is that? That's misplaced priorities. Sometimes it's not even that we're evil or mean people. It's just that our priorities are so out of whack sometimes. It's the person who spends hours on Instagram liking and commenting strangers' photos that you don't know but can't spend your first 15 with God daily in devotion with consistency. What is that? It's misplaced priorities. I know I've been there before. It's like, oh, man, I ain't read the Bible in five days. How is that? How can you have a great relationship with God if you don't spend consistent time with his word? Sometimes we go through seasons and life happens, but when life happens, we got to get right back and make sure that our priorities are in order. I love this kind of message because this is the kind of message that you need to hear like quarterly, especially going into the summer. How many of y'all know? In the summertime, you got all kinds of cookouts to go to, amusement parks to go to, weddings to go to. And it's so easy for our priorities to get out of line. That's why I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad you're here this morning or this afternoon or whatever time it is. You know, I was talking to Pastor TJ. I said, TJ, what do you want me to preach? He said, just make it good and hung up. So this wasn't a message <laughs> that he gave me. This was something I said, God, what do, you, what do the people of Coastal Community Church need to hear today? And he said, priority check. It's, it's for somebody who's here. You, you, you need this. It's going to transform your life. You know, there's certain messages that you can preach as a preacher. You get excited. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, God. Oh, man, that's so good. But they don't change your life. Then there's other messages that you don't get excited about, but the principles, if rightly applied, will get you results. Anybody here want results? This is the message for you today. All right. So misplaced priority, for example, is that parent to take their kids to everything. I just say everything. I didn't say everything. I said everything. Everybody say everything. 
I'm talking about you got them in dance and ballet. You got them in gymnastics and you got them in ninja. Oh, my bad. That's me. But what I'm saying, you got them in soccer and basketball and football and baseball. But do you consistently bring them to the house of God? See, I believe your kids are not watching what you say. They're watching what you do. And there are certain times that you can send a message to your children that God is not a priority no matter what you say. Oh, yes, we love God. Oh, yes, WWJD. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Jesus would never dishonor the Sabbath. Y'all ain't even ready. Let's go on this side over here. What I'm saying is that we have to put God first and to train up our children in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart. All right. And so as I was preparing this message, it dawned on me that like every mistake and mishap in the Bible was somebody's priorities that it got out of line. Like the rich young ruler. Y'all remember him? He went away sad. He didn't want to give away his money because his priority was in his money more than in his God. Remember Martha and Mary, these two sisters, they fighting and Jesus is coming to the house. And Martha is mad at Mary. She's like, man, Mary's not helping me with anything. And Jesus is like, Martha, Martha. You're worried about so many things, but Mary has picked the most important thing. What he's saying is your priorities are out of order, but your sister got her priorities in order. Remember Peter? Peter is like Jesus' ride or die. Y'all got, does anybody here got a friend that will cut you, cut somebody over you? Like they just, I mean, they'll, that's, that's who Peter was. Remember Peter cut the guy's ear off, and then Jesus had to pick his ear off the ground and put it in supernatural heal him, all right? Everybody need a friend that will cut somebody else over you. Well, maybe not, I don't know, but what I'm saying what I'm saying is that there was a time where Jesus was like, listen, what's about to happen is I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be, I'm going to be um, traded in and I'm going to be crucified. And Peter's like, no, Lord, forbid it to be so. And Jesus looks at Peter in his face and he's like, listen, Satan, get thee behind me. You don't desire the things that be of God. In that moment, his priorities was misplaced. Peter wanted Jesus to live, but Jesus had to die so that we could all live. Peter's priorities were just misplaced. It wasn't that he was a bad person. It's not that we're evil people. It's just that every once in a while, we just need a priority check. Kind of like your car needs a tune-up. Every once in a while, we have to look at our checkbooks, look at our calendars, look at our priorities and say, do I live a, a life that really puts God first? So can I give you my priorities? Is that okay with y'all? Y'all ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. My number one priority is what? God. My worship of God, my time with God, my time in his word, my time in his house serving God, okay? My second priority is my spouse. Now, notice that I did not say my family, okay? Because when the two become one, you are the foundation of the family, and those kids, they should grow up and probably have their own family later on. Now, there are some people that spend so much time with their kids that they don't even know their spouse any longer. And when they leave and you're an empty nester, then you're going to be looking at each other like, who are you? Well, who are you? And we don't want that to happen. So listen, my priorities are God, spouse, kids. And then I added this one, me, because I figured out I'm 41 years old now that if I don't take care of myself, nobody else will. And you taking care of your emotional health and your mental health and also your physical health is so important because if you don't do that, you ain't going to be able to take care of your kids, your spouse, or the call of God that is on your life. Am I, preaching? Am I preaching all right to you? These are principles, guys. Oh, what about number five, work? Now, I am an ex-self-confessed workaholic. I'm that guy. I'm, I'm so sorry to say I'm that guy that number five bleeds into number four, number three, number two. I'm that guy that if I get up at like 3 a.m. to use the restroom, I'll check a text message and return it. 
I'm so wrong. You know, I'm that guy that I'm out to dinner with my family and will return an email or call somebody to get a deal done or do something like that. So what I've had to do is discipline myself over the years to do what's right in the right time in the right ways. So I have work time, family time, date night, rest time, me time, God time. And I try not to let those things intertwine. Now, every once in a while, they'll overlap and it's okay because grace is there. But for the most part, if I got God time, I'm not letting anything else come into that God time because I want quality time. Same with my family. Saturday is family day. I don't want nothing else happening on Saturday because that's that day that I spend with my kids. And I'm telling you, see, what happens is that, especially when you're any business owners here, any business owners at all, okay, what happens especially in business, when I was in business, I was trying to work 40 hours a week so I could live a life that was partially in balance. I don't know if I really believe in balance. But um, I noticed that my colleagues were working like 70, 80 hours. And it was almost this trick that I needed to work as hard as they did to get where I wanted to go. But God's called us to walk by faith and not by sight. And faith don't make sense. It makes faith. And so there is no way that I can work less and do more unless God's super is on top of my natural. And I got hold of Ephesians 3 and 20. It says that God will do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think according to the power at work on the inside of you. And you just got to begin to work that power and say, God, I got nine to five and I got other priorities in my life. I need you to supernaturally bless the time that I have to work. Will somebody clap for that? I'm giving you great answers today. Come on. Let's be excited about the word of God. Amen. And my last one is extended family and friends. So anyway, misplaced priorities is simple. It's where you take a low priority, but you give it the lion's share of your passion and time. That's where you spend more in time with your cousins and your best friend from middle school than you do with your spouse. You go out your free time and you spend all your time. Okay, y'all ain't ready for that. Or you spend more time at work than you do in God's house. And so when it comes to next steps, I can't do it right now, I'm too busy. When it comes to small groups, I can't do it right now, I'm too busy. When it comes to the, um, the dream team, I can't do it right now. Too. And sometimes you don't have time, but you gotta make time. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Like nobody in our society today just probably has like a bunch of free time. So what God wants you to do is sacrifice. That means that you give up something of value for something that has greater value. All right. And so misplaced priority. Once again, you give your kids more attention than you do spouse and God. Or sometimes people make make their kids out to be God. And like without them, they don't have an identity. And I think that sucks. But anyway, it's all just misplaced priorities. And so how many of you all have ever made any bad decisions in your life? Show of hands. All of y'all. So we all together. I've made some crazy bad decisions. And you know what I've learned? I've learned that there's nothing that I can do to reverse that decision. I think there's far too many of us living in regret. I shouldn't have married so-and-so. I shouldn't have took that job. I never should have got that degree. And you can't change your past, but you can learn from it. I want to encourage you today to quit dwelling in the past because if you focus on your past, you miss your present and you never have a future. You see, the windshield that's in front of you is always bigger than the rearview mirror. Sometimes we wreck our lives because we're too focused on the small rearview mirror when we have a whole windshield of what's ahead of us. Has anybody received what I'm saying today? Okay. And so I forgot what I was saying because that was pretty good to me. <laughs> anybody here? <ever laughs> 
That was a bonus for you, you know? Um, anybody here ever made a great decision before? Any good decision makers? People are nervous, like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, like, I'm shooting okay. Yeah. But listen, I've made some really bad decisions that I've learned from, but I've also made a great decision before. And I'll give you my number one great decision. If you're ready, say I'm ready. When I was 22 years old, I made a decision to put God first. And I know it might not seem that deep, but it changed the trajectory of my life. It changed my perspective. It changed my friendships. It changed everything because it didn't matter what was popular and it didn't matter what other people thought. I made a determination at 22 years old, almost 20 years ago, that for me and my house, we would serve the Lord. That God would be not second, not third, not fourth. I wouldn't worship God casually or when it was convenient. I was going to be ride or die. I'm about Jesus. What's up? Let's go. Okay quality decision. I was so crazy about this decision that I actually put it on the front of my business card. On the bottom of my business card, it's cheesy and as hyper, hyper spiritual as this is, I put in quotes, putting God first. <laughs> Can you imagine you're working with somebody in business and they give you a business card? It should say like putting my clients first or putting your needs first. I wanted people to know that if I put God first, you're going to get your house accepted, your offer accepted in this tight market because I put God first. But anyway, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying that I was so sold out to raise a God-first family with God-first kids, to start a God-first church, to have a God-first leadership, to have a God-first culture, to preach a God-first message. And I built it all around one scripture. Can I give it to you? Matthew 6.33. It changed my life 20 years ago. It says, but seek First, not third, not fourth, not fifth, not sixth, but first, a priority. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things that you really want, that everybody's working so hard for, that really has no eternal value in the first place that you can't take to heaven. He's like, I'm going to give you that stuff. That's not a big deal if your priorities are right. God has always been a jealous God. He doesn't want all of your attention and affection you know, for singles, it's like, well, I'm going to get married, and it's all about I'm going to find my Boaz, and I'm going to believe God for this Boaz. But then what happens when he gives them to you? Do you still worship God? You know, is God always going to be first? And when I found this out, it changed every decision that I made to put first the kingdom of God. And so have you ever heard of the three T's before? The three T's? If you say, Pastor, how do I put God first? You put him first in your time, your talent, and your treasure. Say your time, your talent your treasure. If you make a decision today to put them first in the three T's, you will be well on your way. Just try it. Take a 90-day challenge. Put God first in your time. That, that means you roll out of bed, out of bed, pop, pop, pop. okay? Go get your cup of joe so you don't fall asleep. Then get your Bible. Spend 15 minutes at least with God. Five minutes of the word, five minutes of prayer, five minutes of worship. You might not have an hour like some theologians, but everybody got 15 minutes. Even if you got to go to work at 5 a.m., you can get up at 445 and give God. Listen, if you give God the first part of your day, your day will be better. If you give God the first part of your week, your week will be better. It's the law of first fruits. Give God the first. He blesses the rest. Is anybody with me today? All right. All right. Everybody say time. Talent. That means that everybody here at some point, we want you serving on the dream team. And it's not because your church need, needs help. It's because you need to serve to be like Jesus. Jesus says, I didn't come to serve, to be served, but to serve. He literally washed his disciples' feet to lay out an example of what it means to be a part of something that is bigger than yourself. Everybody here can pour a cup of joe. Everybody here can get on a camera. Everybody here 
Um, I was going to say can get in kids' church. I personally can't do that, but it's okay. Bless God. I will probably mess that up big time. But anyway, but all of us, we can open the door. We can do something, and there's something. Watch this. We will not grow the way God wants us to grow until we give back our talent. But the last one is like the most important one. It's the treasure. And you know why it's the most important? Why do you think it's the most important? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. God will bless you more with what you give. He'll give you more. Press down, shaking together, running over. But the Bible says this. Where a man's treasure is, that is where his. That means that you love what you give towards. You, where, wherever your money is, that's really what you love. I, I like to say it like this. Well, talk is cheap. And God doesn't want us just to talk. Have you ever been in a relationship with somebody to say they love you, but they abuse you? And it's like, how in the world are you treating me this way, but you say you love me? It don't matter what you say. It matters what you do. When it comes to God, we can say, oh, God, we love you. We worship you. I love this song. <laughs> I love you, Jesus. <laughs> but then he looks at your giving, and your giving, what you do, doesn't match what you say. And God is saying where your treasure is, that's what you really, what you really love. Can I give it to you the way you gave it to me? And I'll be done. I'll be out of your hair. I'll be done. All right. I need your participation. You ready? How many of you all are going on a cruise sometime this summer? Let me see by a show of hands. Anybody? Where are you going? Please take me with you. You took too long, girl. How many of you all are going um, abroad this, this, this summer somewhere? You, you going? Where are you going? France, please take me with you. All right. How many of you all are going um, to Disney or any amusement park anytime this summer? All right. Kid back there like, yeah, I'm going to see Mickey. Yeah. All right. How about this one? How many of you all are buying a new house anytime soon? New house? Anybody need a new house? Woo Come on, girl. Get your keys. All right. How many of you all are buying a new car? You know, your car is raggedy, about to fall apart, and you need a new one. All right. What about a new phone? Anybody getting a new phone anytime soon? Yours is cracked and jacked. All right. All right. How about this one? I like this. How many of you all will probably go to Starbucks sometime this summer and get a latte or a coffee or something? Let me see by show of hands. Starbucks is doing good business. My God. How many of you all lifted your hand for any of that? Keep your hand up for a moment. Everybody look around. That's like the majority of everybody who want to participate. And this is what the Lord gave me to share with you. That if you do any of those things before first giving to him, your priorities are probably misplaced. Nobody's clapping on this side. Let me go on this side and see if I can get. <laughs> can I get a couple? <laughs> Ain't I telling you the truth today? Think about it for a second. Like, I've been pastoring. I've been in ministry for 18 years. I've been a lead pastor for 12 years. I've preached all around the world. And what I've noticed is that sometimes what we do as Christians is we don't understand how important this giving part is. And we say to God, I can't afford to give. And it's not true. I That's not true. God just has to be first. So sometimes we say, I can't afford to give to God, but we got our hair done. We got our nails done. Our kids in private school. We got them in daycare. We're getting a new car. We're going on a cruise. And we say, God, I can't afford to give. And here's the word of the Lord, guys. This is it. Just think about this for a moment. Think about it. I think the greatest sin of our generation is overconsumption. That we are literally living off 105% of what God gives to us. And that's why we struggle so much. Like in debt. We're just living... And what we have to do, and some people need a, a money miracle. You don't need a money miracle. You just need to steward what you have and spend less and make more. It's not a miracle that you need. You just need stewardship and discipline. And so what I've learned is people say, I can't afford to give, but they still get coffee. They still go on a cruise. They still go to Disney. They still got season passes. And God says, I'm fifth. 
And I don't want to be fifth or fourth or third or second. I want to be first. And whenever I give to you, if the first thing you do is give back to me, not only will you have coffee, you can own the coffee shop. Not only will you go on the cruise, you make an own the cruise line. See, God needs you to be faithful over the least so that you can be made ruler over the much. And that's why I love it that he talks about percentages because we all have a percentages, you know, like 10%. Like I've been giving God, like, here's my story. So when I was 22 years old, somebody invited me to a church um, kind of similar to this one outside of Washington, D.C., and it was on a Tuesday night, right? And um, they invited me, and they made me a cake. And I came because I like cake. I didn't even know that people went to church on Tuesday night, but i never forget it because there was a guest preacher that was there, and I had the map quest of how to get to the church. I remember map quest. It was before Waze and everything. I didn't know the name of the church. I didn't know who the pastor was. I like cake, so I came. There was a guest preacher. And after the guest preacher sat down, the pastor of the church stood up, and he says, you give in tithe, which is 10% of all of your increase, whatever God gives to you, and you give in offerings, is the one area in the Bible that God gives you, the believer, the opportunity to test him to see if his word doesn't work. Then he gave us a scripture. At 22 years old, I had $100,000 of debt, and my marriage was headed for divorce, but I had a pure heart. And he gave me Malachi 3.10. It says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food or provision in my house. Kind of sounds like Haggai, that God has always been serious about his house, not the, not the brick and the mortar, but the place where his people gather together where needs are being met. And then he says, and try me in this or prove me. I like this word because it literally means we can test God in this area and see if I won't open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there ain't room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine bear its fruit before the time in the field. And all nations will call you blessed. For you'll be a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. And I began to give, not because I had a lot of money, but I had a lot of obedience. And I just wanted to trust God. I started giving at 20%. I'm that guy that I just jump in the deep end. And I learned how to swim later on. I started giving at 20%. And over the last 20 years... I don't share with people about giving um, because I'm a pastor. I share with people about giving because I'm in love with Jesus. And he gave his all for us. And the least we could do is when he gives to us, make him a priority to go and give back to him. Because where our treasure is, that's literally where our heart is also. And I just know the same God that did things for me that when I began to give him the first, the rest was blessed He's going to do it for you. And I'm not just talking about financial blessings. I'm talking about you, you being in love with Jesus. I'm talking about this connection that you have with the high priest. When you give back to him as a form of worship and you put his house first, he'll put your house first. No longer would it be like stuff is being blown away. But God will look at you and say, this is somebody that I can trust. Is that good for you guys? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Thank you so much. Father, we thank you for every person that's here today. And I just thank you that there are, there are people here, maybe they're new to this whole church thing, but they have that childlike faith that I had when I was 22 years old, just coming off the street. And I made a decision that I was going to put you first in my time, in my talent, and in my treasure. And I've seen you over the years provide for us, no matter who's in the office, who's no matter if the nation is in recession, no matter what's happening, I've sensed that closeness with you. And I pray that from this day forward, there will be other people 
that will make that same quality decision. So I pray for faith. I pray for their obedience right now. I pray that they have an ear to hear. And I pray the next time that I'm invited to this church, if, if I'm ever invited back, that they'll see me in the foyer and say, thank you, Pastor Ken, for not preaching to me something that's just candy, but giving me something that challenged my priority to put God first, not second, not third, not fourth. And look at what's happened in my life. That's my prayer, Lord. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, the best decision that you could ever make to put God first would be accepting Jesus. Listen very carefully. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Myself, I'm the chief sinner among all of you, but the good news for me is that I don't have to pay the price for my own sin. Years ago, I made a decision to accept Jesus who paid the price for every lie and everything that I've ever done that was contrary to his will and his way. The good news for you is no matter how many mistakes you've made, how much you've missed the mark, or what you even believe, Jesus stands and he knocks on the door of your heart and he asks for you to simply let him in. You don't have to be a perfect person to be a forgiven one. You just have to be surrendered. And I want to pray for people. I mean, there's probably been so many people today that just made this decision to be with Jesus today. And I want to give you that same opportunity. I believe that we've saved the best for last. If you're here today and you're not sure, I mean, 100% sure where you would spend the rest of eternity. You say, Pastor, I'm not sure that my sins have been forgiven. I'm not sure that I'm a child of God. I'm not 100% positive but that my name would be found in the book of life. But I, I want it to be. I want to be right with God. Would you pray with me? Yeah, I would. I would love to pray with you. I just need to know who I'm praying for. And so if that's you and you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to surrender my will to his will today. Would you pray for me? Yeah, I would love to. Can you lift up your hand? And just as an act of, hey, pray for me, lift it up right now. All over the building. If that's you and you say, Pastor, I want to be saved, I want to be forgiven. I see your hand and 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 your hand. And you can put your hands down. There's others that you did not lift your hand, but maybe you should have. And I believe our God is a God of a second chance. Here comes your second chance. Listen, all I know is that the Bible says tomorrow is not promised. Some people say, well, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to get myself together. If you could get yourself together without God, you wouldn't need God. You give your heart to Jesus. He'll help you get you together. Who am I talking to today? You're 95% sure you're saved. Maybe you've been Catholic or Baptist or Presbyterian, or maybe you're atheist or agnostic. You've given yourself a title that God has never given you, and he's not asking for you to have a title. He wants you to be a son and a daughter of his. And if you take a step towards him, he'll take a step towards you. If you did not lift your hand, but you should have, here's your second chance. Lift it up right now. All over the building. Who else is that that I need to pray for? I see your hand and your hand and your hand and your hand and your hand. Anyone else? Come on now. Let's pray this together. Nobody pray alone. Say, Lord Jesus. Come on, I can't hear you. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart today. Forgive me of my sins. From this day forward, I give you me. Thank you so much for dying on the cross for my sins. Today, as an act of my will, I choose to believe. Lord, restore me, heal me, deliver me, save me, and then use me. From this day forward, I am yours, you are mine. I'm a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen.
Come on, church, would you put your hands together? Come on, would you give God praise? Love you, Coastal Community.